Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, God bless you. It's good to be with you again. I'm Jim. Let me start us out today by asking you a question. If you squeeze an orange, what comes out? Orange juice comes out, right? If you squeeze an apple, what comes out of an apple? Apple juice comes out, right? Okay, so let's say you have something that looks an awful lot like an orange, and you squeeze it, and apple juice comes out. What do you have there? What you have there is an apple that someone has wrapped in the peel of an orange. That is not an orange in any way. That's no more an orange than I am, right? And you could tell because when it's squeezed, what comes out is what's on the inside. When you squeeze a Christian, what ought to come out is Christ. When the the trials of the world and the pains and sufferings of this life bear down on us and squeeze us tight, what ought to come out of followers of Jesus is the love of Christ. But I don't know. We went through a pandemic and a rough political season, and I watched a lot of people who go to church get squeezed. And what came out of them was a lot of anger and anxiety. And that ought to give us pause to wonder, am I really a a Christian on the inside or am I just a secular person with a Christian peel on the outside? Because it doesn't do us any good to be a secular person with a Christian peel on the outside. That's a useless place to be. What we want to be is Christian to the core. We're going to start a new teaching series today. We're going to read through the letter of 1 John, a letter written by a disciple of Jesus. And what John wants us to hear more than anything else is that we should have Christ at the core, so much so that when we're squeezed, the love of Christ comes out in all directions. If we are caught up in a world of anger and anxiety, it might be time to look at the Christian life and ask ourselves, am I really into this? Is this really for me? Or have I settled for something lesser? That's the heart of John's letter. There are two different styles of preaching generally, and each has its place. There's one style of preaching where a a pastor will pick a a theme or a topic of interest and look at biblical passages that speak into that. You've heard me give a series recently on holiness. I've done series on work and on relationships, and there's a place for that because we should go to the Bible with our questions about life. We should go to the Bible looking for answers to the things that gnaw at us. But there's another kind of preaching where you read through a letter of the Bible from beginning to end so that the the letter itself speaks its own questions to you. Here we try to say, God, I, I want you to go first. Rather than asking you what I'm most concerned about right now, you set the agenda and tell me what I should be thinking about. Tell me what questions I should be asking about life. And so we're gonna read through the letter of 1 John from beginning to end. And by the time we're done, You should know this letter well. You should be able to name confidently what the contents of 1 John is uh, all about, what the contents are. Uh, And in the midst of that, I think we'll see what, what John wants us to hear is that we should have 
Christ at the core of our being, so much so that that's what comes out of us. Let's pray together. Pray with me. Jesus, we invite you into the deepest places in our hearts. We invite you to shine light in the places that have before been only darkness. We invite you to put love where we have held on to hatred. Jesus, we want to live life on your terms and holy for you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, let me set the stage a little bit and tell you who John is in case you're new to this. Jesus had around him an inner circle of disciples. There are 12 of them. There was bigger crowds of 70 and then thousands that followed him around and went on missions with him. But there was this inner circle of 12. And among the 12, there were three to whom he was closest. Peter, James, and John. And John called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, the beloved disciple. And some scholars think that when John said that, that I am the disciple whom Jesus loved, that he meant I had a closer relationship to Jesus than any other disciple. But I think John is actually deeper than that. And I think what John means to tell us is that my identity is defined by the fact that I am loved personally by Jesus. I'm not just loved by Jesus because Jesus loves humanity. Jesus loves me in particular. I am the beloved disciple, the disciple who is loved by Jesus because he knows my name. And any of us who follow Jesus have that same promise extended to us. If you follow Jesus, he loves you not just because you're a face in a crowd of a species that he loves, but he loves you in particular. He loves you because you are you. He knows your name. John is the beloved disciple. John, uh, John actually lived a long life. Most of the disciples, uh, we believe, uh, were martyred, but John lived uh, into probably the 90s of the first century. So you can imagine him being called by Jesus when he was uh, maybe a teenager, uh, when he was uh, uh, in the, around the, the 30s uh, AD, and then followed Jesus through those three years, uh, witnessed Jesus ascend into heaven, Witness that early band of Christians begin to, to start the movement that would become the Christian church, the way. Initially, the, the Jewish faith would turn against them, and there was persecution of the Christians from the Jews. We see that recorded in the book of Acts. Then in 65 AD, Caesar Nero would begin a persecution of the Christians and use them as a scapegoat to blame his problems on. In 70 AD, Rome would destroy Jerusalem. All of Jerusalem and the temple would be leveled to the ground. The Ark of the Covenant would be stolen away. Uh, uh, the people who remained in Jerusalem would be crucified by Rome. And the, the early Christians were then scattered. And as much as that felt like loss, it spread the Christian message throughout the Mediterranean, through North Africa, and up into what we now call Europe and into Turkey. And John would have landed in a city called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, where he became a pastor there and would spend most of his life there preaching the message of Jesus. And so John is attracted to cosmic messages, the view from 30,000 feet, the big picture, because he has nothing in this world to hold on to. He didn't go, as far as we know, the route of marriage and normal career, certainly, 
He, he didn't fit in with normal Jewish society because he followed this renegade Messiah. He lost the, the holy city, the holy center of Jerusalem, which was just destroyed and devastated. And he lost his friends one at a time to martyrdom. He tends to, he tends to look for those things that we can cling to in this world that are not temporary. So you'll see in this letter of 1 John, he talks a lot about Christ in us and us in Christ, this mysterious union that we share with Jesus, one of the only things that just cannot be taken away from us in this world. John was the second most prolific contributor to the New Testament behind Paul. He wrote a gospel. He wrote three little short letters. We're reading the first one, and he wrote the book of Revelation. If you've never read Revelation, I would not start there. We're going to read 1 John. Uh, and we're reading 1 John in particular because it's good to know a book of the Bible beginning to end, but also because I want to do a science experiment on you. The message of 1 John is that we should have the love of Christ at our core so that it, it oozes out in everything we do. And the vision that John had for the church, the vision that Jesus had for the church, was that we would form a community on this earth in which his love was so deep in us and so transparent to the world that it would transform everyone who came in contact with it. The church in America has been declining every year in attendance since the 1960s. And the, the contemporary visions for church that I see in the landscape around me are that the church is supposed to be a big shiny concert or an angry, angry political convention or a familiar country club where everybody knows your name. And none of those are the vision of the church set out in the scriptures. In the letter of 1 John, John will paint for us a picture of a community which are so immersed in the love of Jesus that we are absolutely transformed by it, that love is at the center of all we do. So no matter how we are pressured or pushed around in this world, the love of Christ is apparent to all. That's what we're going to see in the letter to 1 John. And we're going to read uh, through it, starting right in the beginning at 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. John says, that which was from the beginning. And here John starts this little letter the same way he starts his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He starts with a sort of a creation narrative at the beginning of his gospel in Gospel of John chapter one. He does that because he's paralleling the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, which starts with the creation of the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So then in his gospel, he ties the creation of the earth to the creator stepping foot on the earth, Jesus of Nazareth. And here in 1 John, he parallels that again, that which was from the beginning that in this very cosmic sense, the God who was there at the start of all things, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The, the creator of everything that was in the beginning has stepped down on the earth and we've seen him and we've touched him, we've known him, we witnessed his miracles, we talked with him, we saw him risen from the dead. He was our friend. John takes this, this big cosmic picture and he translates it into the, into the life of Jesus, the, the life 
that defines everything in the world became a human life. And he uses again the word word, which in Greek is logos. He does the same thing in his gospel chapter one. In the beginning was the word. He calls Jesus the word of God. And logos can be translated speech like word, but it can also be translated logic or reason. And what, what John is doing here is he is referencing something that the people of Ephesus would have known about. There was a, a philosopher in Ephesus who was very famous, who preceded John by a few years, uh, named Heraclitus. And so Heraclitus was like the hometown hero of Ephesus. And Heraclitus had written about the Logos that was the foundational ordering principle of the universe. We might refer to it as the laws of physics today, the thing that created the laws of physics. At the very beginning, there was this ordering principle that brought systems and structure and beauty and art and reason to be. The things in this world that have form and structure and purpose that are not just chaos, those came from a principle that was there before anything began. And Heraclitus calls it the Logos. And John says, that Logos that was there at the beginning, I've met it. I've met him. He walked among us. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. And he was my friend. If you could, if you could get your mind around this, the cosmic principle that shaped all things manifested as a human being. And any Greek listening to this would have said, what? And that's how John creates a window into evangelism. Christians who are wise will pay attention to this. You don't share Jesus by telling people what they're doing wrong. You share Jesus by telling people where they've got it right. And you connect what they've got right to what we see in Jesus. And that's what John does here. You Ephesians who believe in the logos that founded all things, I've met him. He was there in the beginning and now he's walked among us and I've seen him and I've talked to him. He was my friend. The life appeared, just like in the Gospel of John chapter 1, uh, this, this word was the light of life. This life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So here, John names uh, two purposes for writing this letter. One, he is inviting his readers, his audience, into what he calls fellowship, into a community, a family with God. Between God the Father and God the Son is a perfect, uninterrupted unity of love. And when we believe in Jesus, we are invited into this community of love. This is what John records Jesus praying for at the end of his life. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays, I pray that my followers would be one as I am one with the Father. Jesus invites us into a loving unity with him. And then we as Christian community share loving community between ourselves. We are invited into this growing family of love this fellowship, as John calls it, in which we experience the unity of the Father and the Son. This beautiful, mystical, powerful, loving 
unity. That's his first reason for writing. I want that for you. And secondly, if I achieve that, he says, my joy will be complete. And uh, that's not a, just a throwaway phrase. The word complete here is plerao in Greek. And it's this beautiful concept. It's used in the gospels when the, when the fishermen pull in a big net of fish and the net is so full, it can't hold anymore. The net is full. It's complete. So that our joy might be full. You could translate that. So full that there's no room for anything else. I want this for you so that our joy will be so full, there's no room for any more joy. Or it can be, um, it can be used for a, a prophecy that's fulfilled. So if the prophet Isaiah says, there's one coming who will be called uh, Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, and then he comes, the prophecy is now complete, it's fulfilled. And so you could translate this, uh, John prays, I want this for you so that our joy will be uh, 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 not just fulfilled, will be proven true. What will be will be shown to be true. I, I want our joy to be shown to be true, like a prophecy that's fulfilled. Um, or the the best analogy I can think of here would be like a parent who's cheering for their child in a little league team, and the little league team is succeeding and they're winning, and the parent is cheering for them, and they win, and they go on to league championships, and the parent cheers for them, and they win, and they go on to state championships, and the parent cheers for them, and then they finally win the state championships. They are the best team. And now the parent's joy is complete. There's nothing left to cheer for. It's done. They have won. And that's what... John says, if you enter into this, this fellowship, this family of love that the father shares with the son and that we share with the son, and now that we can share with one another, my joy will be like the parent at the little league game. You can, you can relate to John's emotion here. Have you ever had an experience that was so good that you just wanted to share it with somebody else? Like you go to a restaurant, and you have an incredible meal, the best meal of your life. It is so good. This restaurant does everything exactly right. The coffee is from Ethiopia, and the chocolate is from Belgium. And at this restaurant, the bacon is wrapped in bacon, you guys. It is the best thing a restaurant has ever done. And you think, oh, this is so good. I have to bring my best friend back here. I have to bring my best friend to this restaurant so they can have this experience too. And if you bring the best friend back and something has gone wrong and the food shipments have not arrived and now the restaurant is not serving Belgium, Belgian chocolate, they're serving those little chocolate Easter eggs wrapped in tin foil that not even children like. And the coffee is from Folgers and the bacon is actually tofu bacon and it's kale flavored. It's kale flavored tofu bacon, like some kind of medieval torture device. And you think, oh no, this isn't what I had in mind at all. This is not what I wanted you to experience. This is John's heart. The ordering principle that makes sense of everything, I've met him, I've touched him, I've gazed at him, I've, I've traveled with him, I've watched him work miracles, I've seen him redeem people who were lost, I've seen him heal the sick, I saw him raise, rise from the dead, and he was my friend, and he's still my friend, and he can be your friend. I want this so much for you. I would hate it if you had some kind of experience of just religion that was stale or fake or flashy or angry. That would be such a mistake. I want you to have the real thing because the real thing is so good and my joy will not be complete until you do. That's the heart of John as he writes this letter. 
All right, he goes on. This, by the way, is how Christians should talk about Jesus. Verse five, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship him, fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. When we know that Jesus died for us on the cross, we are set free for healthy community, for loving relationships. And if we mistakenly stumble back into darkness, we turn back to Jesus again to be forgiven and redeemed, and we start fresh every time. If we claim to be without sin, John will warn us, don't get overconfident and suddenly think that now you're a sinless person. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The ancient Hebrews would use animals as sacrifices to pay for their sins. When they had done wrong, they would take an animal and place it on the altar, and it would die as this graphic object lesson that they had rejected the creator of life, and they deserved death. But when we believe that Jesus died on the cross for us, we are no longer indebted to God. We no longer deserve punishment because the punishment has been taken by someone else. And all we have to do is believe. And that is what John wants for us, that we would deep in our hearts believe that Jesus died for us and thus be welcomed into fellowship with him and one another. Don't, he said, go back to darkness. Don't try to blend a little of walking in the light with a little of walking in darkness because that will not create peace with God or peace with one another. Um, it's like something a, a friend of mine did. He was a youth pastor uh, and youth pastors can get away with all kinds of things that senior pastors cannot. And my youth pastor, wanted, youth pastor friend wanted to create uh, an object lesson for his youth group to illustrate a point he was gonna make in one of his talks. Now this was in Texas where there's a lot of agricultural land. And so he went out to a farm and he collected what we euphemistically refer to as a cow pie. If you do not know what that is, it is an insult to the word pie. He collected this and he took it home and he went into his kitchen and he put it in a cake pan and he covered it with chocolate cake frosting. And then he took it to youth group. In front of the youth group, he said to them, you may be thinking that you can walk with Jesus sometimes and then return to the other things that you used to do and that you want to do at other times and that you can somehow just blend the two and it will work out. He said, what I have in front of me in this pan is a cow pie covered in cake frosting. He then took his finger. He 
dipped it into the concoction and he licked his finger and he said, would anyone like a taste? And of course, the, the youth group just reviled at this disgusting behavior of this youth pastor. And he said, look, if you live for Jesus sometimes and walk in darkness other times, that's no better a recipe than this one. The, the brief times that you walk in the light are not purifying the times that you walk in darkness. Turn away from walking in darkness and walk in the light so that you can enjoy uninterrupted peace with God and we can enjoy healthy community together. Now, he later told me the trick to this uh, little illustration is that you dip your index finger in and you lick your middle finger and no one is any the wiser. I think I'll just pass on that whole illustration. I've given you as, as much of that as you're ever going to see from me. Uh, and uh, uh, it's a, while it's a little less classy than the apple juice and orange juice illustration I started with, it's essentially the same message. John says, I'm inviting you into this, this new kind of fellowship that is life-changing and world-changing with Christ at the center. And if you live into it, when you are squeezed by the pressures of this world, the only thing that will come out is the love of Christ. And that will preserve our community and family that we share among one another. Do not turn to darkness. Don't, don't mix the two together. Walk in the light. Well, here at Real Life Church, I have the feeling that we're not as likely to try to ice over a terrible collection of vices so much as we are likely to ice over a settling for normalcy. A lot of us here and these communities around here have settled into standard lives. We have standard families, we go to standard schools, we have standard jobs, and we live in standard homes. We have lived largely to create a comfortable atmosphere for ourselves. Many of us get about halfway through life and realize that that is not satisfying because it is not purposeful. John would look into that life and say, you, you might not want to take just normal life and put a Christian coating over it because in the end, that's not the real thing. What I'm telling you is that the creator of the whole universe that was there in the beginning, the thing that makes right things right, and that makes beautiful things beautiful, and that makes ordered things ordered, that great mind and spirit that created all things, it became a human being. It walked among us. I saw him in person. And I now live as a witness to retell that story of what I saw so that generations after me can come to join the fellowship I share with Jesus. I have a community with the God who made me, which triumphs over the destruction of Jerusalem, the death of my friends, the loss of passing material things in this world. I have found something eternal. And I want you to have it. My joy will not be complete until you do. I have had the best meal of my life and I want you to savor it. Come and taste this with me. Invite Jesus into the depths of your heart and into the center of your life. Meditate daily on his love for you. And when things get hard, when the world gets tough, when it squeezes you, you will not pour out anger and anxiety like all the secular world around you. 
Because you will have been transformed. You will be a different person to the core of your being. And when the world closes in on you to squeeze you, what will come out is nothing but Jesus himself. That is how life is supposed to be. So Jesus, we invite you in. We want you at the core of our being. Help us to stop walking in darkness and turning to things that do not satisfy. Instead, give us a passion to pursue that which matters most, to live life daily with you, and to never turn aside. Jesus, we invite you in. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.